Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. A little about me, I'm the founder and president at ABS. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome Laura Anderson. She's the mother of a young adult with autism and is a member of the Autism Council of Utah. She's proud to be the co-founder of the parent support group called Big Max. M-A-K stands for Mothers of Autistic Kids. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Oh, thank you so much, Jeff. I'm so excited to have our conversation. Well, I mean, and, and today is, is, a, is a hot topic. It's one that doesn't seem to go away because we're going to be talking about elopement. And, and what that means in the autism community is uh, a child who may be running away, bolting, wandering, trying to escape. Um, elopement is a huge safety concern and is more common than you may think in children and teens with autism. And I think that you'll be able to add a lot of perspective to this issue because not only are you connected to the community on this, but you've lived a lot of these experiences with your, with your own child. Um, and before we get into those stories, I just quickly want to go over a, a news article that came out at the very end of September from the St. George News. I think it was posted on September 29th. And it really, it went over a young man, uh, 14 years of age, who has a history of uh, wandering, of walking away from the community, of hiding. And he had on the technology to be able to track when he's doing this. He had the support systems, yet he still escaped, yet he still wandered. He did this in shorts, without a shirt, without shoes, was gone for over six hours, was found in a water treatment uh, facility, sitting there hiding from everybody. And it's these stories that aren't unique. And that's the sad part about it is that parents live this on a regular basis. And I'd love to hear your perspective on that story first, um, just on the experience from a parent perspective of knowing that your child has the ability to still escape even when you have all these safeguards in place. Well, and remember, this is my perspective and my um, involvement with this and my perception is based on my experiences. So I, it's very unique to me, obviously, um, than it would be to another family, my issues. And so I don't want anybody to think that I'm, this is a one shot deal here and that my opinions are the be all end all. It's just my opinion, because our autism is unique. Um, that story, some interesting things, that he was running away and hiding. Um, I think my perception is our kids don't run away to be malicious. And I don't know where this individual was on the spectrum. Um, if he was, I hate to use the words high and low, but we kind of do, autism plus. Um, if he had the ability to really understand what he was doing and was he hiding or was he discomforting? Was he 
Um, was it a sensory issue? Regardless, you can put all of the safeguards you want into place and they're still going to disappear. They're still, you're still gonna come up um, up the stairs and say, where is my son? I have no idea. And, and then how do you start looking for them? You know, do you have your plan in place? Have you prepared for this? It's almost like a fire drill. You need to have your pr plan prepared ahead of time so that you know what's going to happen when this kind of situations occur. You know, it's just, it's remarkable that he was found. There's so many things that could have happened. And I think a lot of times as parents, that's all we think about are the, the bad outcomes. And it's scary. And it really does keep you up at night. Yeah. I mean, when, when you just kind of talk through that, Laura, I mean, I, I picked up on a few different things. One of the, one of the factors is that we don't oftentimes know from a lot of the children why it is that they wander, why it is that they do have the, the impulse to, to either run away or to run towards something. Mm -hmm. uh, and My pairing as a family's got to be the hardest task when you don't know all the variables. And I don't think my son would ever plan to run away. You know, he's not going to, boy, I'm going to run away and join the circus. He, the only time he would leave if it was for a purpose and something that was important to him. He yeah. needs something. He wants something. He knows that the neighbor up the street has videos in their room, in their front room. He knows that the neighbor has a swimming pool. He knows these things. He's not, I don't, he's not doing it to be malicious. That's my experience with my son. Maybe some other kids are, but I don't see in our experience that he's ever done anything to be malicious, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to put him in danger or a neighbor in danger or the driver of a car. Well, and let me give a little background on my son. His name is Ty. And Ty right now is 24. Ty is six foot eight. He weighs 295 pounds and he is totally nonverbal. There is, it's, you know, we do communications with gestures and routine and following. So I don't have a clue really what's going through his mind sometimes. All I know is that if he sees something that he wants or that he knows, and I'll give you some examples. When he was younger, we were in a parking lot. And when they set the swings up, swing sets out up front of the stores, he saw it. He liked swing sets. I turned to close the door and he was gone through the parking lot, through the cars, running across. My husband grabbed him. He was going to the swing set. He knew the swing set. He knew it was fun. He didn't realize there were cars coming and backing out. And it was at that time when I was talking to our doctor about it that we decided to get a handicapped parking sticker. Not because my son is physically disabled, but because of his impulsiveness and ability to just to, just to break free so fast. He is a danger to himself and to others. I would never want to be in somebody's car or in their place when they hit my son. I mean, that would be with them for the rest of their life. It doesn't just impact my son and it would impact anybody who was involved in that situation if they were to hit him or, you know, God forbid, you know, a horrible accident. 
but he wasn't doing it to cause an accident. He wasn't doing it because he was mad at his mom and dad. He was doing it because he saw a swing set. Handicap parking sticker has saved us. And I have no problem using it with him because I then can park close and not have to walk him through a dangerous parking lot. If you go back and just kind of pick your brain, and I I know sometimes it's hard to do, but what does that experience feel like when you're not prepared? Like your first time that time might have bolted when you didn't even know that that was going to be something you were going to have to worry about. You're almost frozen in time because you can't believe it's happening. And the adrenaline and the rush and the panic and the I can't move fast enough. And then afterwards, you just replay and replay the what if. Um, I was with a very dear friend of mine and her son on, we were up at a restaurant um, by Wheeler Farm. And her son, we were there with our, our families, ran, got out of the car, looked across the street. Now we're on Ninth East in Salt Lake City, 1130 on a Saturday afternoon. Busy, busy, three lanes traffic, both sides. He saw the number six across the street. So we're getting out of the car to go into his favorite place and turn, and he is bolting through traffic. Cars are screeching. Their horns are honking. His dad is chasing after him, literally bumping off of cars, you know, pushing off of him, trying to get to his son, screaming for him. His mother is on the side of the street in the parking lot with us, and we're all just screaming. You are so helpless. And then afterwards, when he was brought back safely, and, you know, there were some angry people in their cars, but it was just a, a sob of relief. But you can tell in my voice right now, even now thinking about it, it's a little traumatizing. And can you imagine driving your car and there's this kid bolting through three lanes of traffic? All he wanted to do was touch the number six. No, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine it. And quite frankly, as, as somebody who didn't live that, I think that would have been one of the last days I had a really good sleep at night. I think that I'd always have this fear going forward. I think that I'd never live down the thought that this is going to be tomorrow or this is going to be the next day. I mean, what did you learn from that event? What did you change from, and I I would imagine you're still learning uh, as we all are constantly, but what did you start doing to prepare yourself going into these new um, events, new environments, knowing that this is now a concern. Well, and we did have Ty with us at that time. And I can tell you, I grabbed a hold of him really hard. Um, I learned that you'd never let your guard down ever. This isn't just a one-time shot. This can happen so quickly. You have to be on a heightened state of awareness at all times when you are out in public and in those situations, but not even just then. I mean, we've had times where I've lost Ty in a store. I have no idea how. He was right there and then he was gone. So what is the nice thing is, is that we put a plan into place where if we ever lost him in a store, you go directly to customer service and, and do it as an abducted child. So they lock down the store. Um, 
I think learned- that that's something that a lot of families could benefit from right off the bat is just knowing that having that plan, having mm-hmm. kind of pre-thought out who it is that yeah. you're going to need to support you in different environments becomes so, so important. And I know that you and I have, have spoken about this ad nauseum is, you know, what, what do we do to be able to empower our community for these events? What do, I mean, what do we do for our neighbors to get them involved? Well, you got to get to know your neighbors. And you, the thing as a parent, I think we have a responsibility and we just have to take it. We can't assume. We need to let our neighbors know who our child is. Take a picture of him. Take him to their house. We have to be careful with that because if he sees something in their house that he likes, then that could be a destination. So we just let them know. We have a new neighbor in our neighborhood. We go over and we say, look, this is our son. His name is Ty. If he were to walk into your house because he has been to this house before, before you moved in, he has been to your home before and he could very easily walk into your house. He's not going to respond to you. If you say, hey, what are you doing? He's just going to barge right past you and go to where he thinks the videos are or go to your fridge. So you just need to educate people. And it's if you ever see Ty, we let our neighbors know this. We've let our community know this. If you ever see Ty out walking in the community alone, stop him. Call him. Get with him. He is never safe to be alone. And I know that sounds overprotective, but Ty has no safety awareness. Done. And I will give you two examples. When he was younger, they had just repaved our road. And I looked outside and went, how in the heck did his bedspread get out onto the street? This is crazy. I, I, I couldn't even fathom it. And I went out and picked up the bedspread and my son was laying under that flat on that warm pavement. Wow. If a car had driven over that blanket, I mean, just the day before, I had trucks running up and down the street laying pavement. I didn't know he had gotten out. We have bolts on all of our doors. Our first experience with Ty wandering, my husband and I were coming home. Ty was being watched at home by his um, grandmother. And we were driving up the street, and I looked over and went, is that our son? He was three. He was just walking down the street. And Grandma didn't know he had left. Wow. We couldn't figure it out until, and we did realize um, he had figured out how to use the garage door opener. You know what? This is a kid who, you know, seemed, appeared to have very limited capabilities, but he had watched us enough and he pushed that button and went right out through the garage. So now our garage door opener is up as high as you can reach, up at the very top of our garage. I mean, what you're describing, Laura, I mean, for me is that, I'll always kind of hope that I understand the parent perspective. And as a, as a clinician, I'm thinking, what can, what can I do? How can I coach others? And it sounds like there's a lot of precautions that you're giving preventively while you're trying to teach some of these other skills of maybe delaying some reinforcement over time or being able to communicate needs or knowing who to turn to for safety. Right. Um, what, are, what are some of the technological things that you've seen or 
that you would recommend as a parent that might be helpful for preventative uh, measures in the home or even for tracking purposes that have been helpful for families? Well, as you mentioned, there is the GPS tracking watch. Um, a lot of our kids won't wear those devices. Some parents have had to attach those devices to shoelaces or to a backpack um, or to an article of clothing. If it was on tie, he would tear it off. For many years, Ty wore a medical alert bracelet that said, I have autism, um, I am nonverbal, and it had all of our personal information on it. And we were told, well, why would you want somebody to have your phone number and your address? I said, really? <laughs> How would they know? Is Ty going to say, oh, my name's Ty, and I live at this address, and why don't you call my mom? No, he's not. I think as an autism parent, most of our life is spent in reactive mode. Mine is. I don't have a lot of opportunities to be proactive, but this issue you have to be proactive on. There are many alarm systems and surveillance systems in your house, alarms on your windows. Um, I know several people who have used Vivint to come in and set up security in their homes um, with alarms on the doors and special keypads. We, you have to find what works best for your family and what's reasonable. Um, you know, cost-effective wise, maybe you can't afford to put in a whole security system, but you can put locks on your door. And I talked about the garage door opener. After we moved it up to the ceiling, he realized he could get into our cars and push the garage, the garage door opener from our cars. So we had to um, make that change so that those things weren't quite as accessible. It's finding the appropriate lock, which one works best for your house. Ty can do a deadbolt, but he can't do a flap lock, so we use flap locks. We use a lot of lighting outside. Um, there are things available, but they're so unique to each person's situation. If you have somebody who carries a cell phone, obviously you could put a GPS tracker in that. I mean, I, I listen to all of the things that you're providing as resources, and I mean, <laughs> and I think none of them would work for me. <laughs> well, I mean, but but it's it's also is that as an individual. There's no way one person is going to be able to be doing all this. Do you have a Do you have a team of supports that helps you? I mean, who's who's helping to kind of reinforce a lot of the things that you're trying to build for Ty or help to generate? You have the Big Macs, which sounds like you know a we have the Macs, and that's the moms of autistic kids. And our tagline is more support than a forty-four double D. <laughs> and you know what? The best support is from somebody who gets it or who is experienced with it. And you know, we're not just talking about parents, we're also talking about caregivers and school teachers and anybody who has interaction with your child. The best support that I get is from other parents. Um, plus I have an incredible team that I work with through the home program and we have worked with you, you know, setting up behavioral plans and we have worked with another behavioralist it's just, you have to build your community to meet your needs specific to you. You have to find people that are, will encourage you and empower you and avoid those people that are going to be critical of you and um, be negative and naysayer or have all the answers. Mm -hmm. No one has all the answers. Like, it, I mean, it has to be, I mean, tiring um, because everything's a unique experience. Every tomorrow brings about a new challenge 
and you never know what to be prepared for, which actually kind of gets me thinking is you're talking a lot about supporting your son, which would be the first thing I'd be doing. But oftentimes we forget to support ourselves. I mean, how, mm-hmm. how do you recommend for the families who have this incredible amount of stress, concern, worry, to make sure that they're caring for themselves at the same time? Because we don't do that often. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that is a whole other discussion. Um, you know what? I think just to get a little off of the elopement topic, as many of us as parents, I will tell you, have thought about doing it ourselves, just taking off. I'm very grateful every day that my husband takes the turn off to come home and doesn't just keep driving. I appreciate that so much because, you know, that it's not fun and it's time consuming and it's emotionally draining and it's exhausting, but it is our normal. So I think um, just making sure that you reach out to other people and express your concerns. As a parent of autism, I almost feel like it's my goal, and many of my other friends for this, to look normal on the outside. We're fine. Everything's great. Thank you very much. Because when you tell people the ugly truth, they don't know how to handle it. They don't understand it. How could you understand it? I don't understand what it would be like to have cancer. I don't understand what it would be like to have a child with a terminal illness. I don't understand a lot of these things. So I think you have to find support within your circle of people, but also turn to your professionals. If I hadn't have told the doctor, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? He ran away in the parking lot. You know, let's get a handicapped parking sticker. And I'm thinking he, we can't get that because he doesn't have a disability. He says, oh, yes, he does. And if you read the guidelines, it says, can pose a danger to self or others. Okay. All right, we can do that. Being open and honest and not pretending like it's all okay because it's not sometimes. And it's scary. And giving yourself a chance to be afraid and then to let it go. And know that anxiety, an anxiety attack, an anxiety moment will pass in 20 minutes. I think a lot of us suffer from PTSD. And I'm not saying that flippantly. We have had so many traumatic events in our life. We need to get, whether that's a counselor, a good friend, a religious leader, surrounding yourself with positive people and then taking time for yourself. We don't do that. The thing I wished I had done earlier was taken better care of my health. Um, Made sure that I got daily physical exercise, daily physical exercise, that I maybe ate better, that I took a few minutes, but I spent so much time worrying about my son that I forgot about me and my other family members. I have a daughter. She's not on the spectrum. That's the other thing. You know, when she was little, we worried about her getting lost. What if she walked away? Well, if she got older, you know, that's no longer a concern. But Ty is a different story. It's still on our radar every day. And when they're younger, you know, it's almost excusable and forgivable. But you know, when a six foot eight kid comes barging into your house, it's not cute anymore. It's, you know, if he gets away and you go to help him and he's afraid of you and he gut punches you, it's not cute. The police walks up to him and he goes to grab for their radio. It's not cute anymore. It might've been cute when he was little, 
but he is frightening. He can be very scary, especially if he's determined. Okay, so I, I digress. Um, just take care of yourself. Just breathe. Laura, as you went through all of those, I mean, I, I can't sit back and not realize how much of an expert each one of the parents out there are, but bringing the parents together and helping to empower them and what the Big Macs have done, what the Autism Council has done. Um, I think that that's allowing people to learn and create that community. And I mean, if you can do that, create preventative measures, understand your child, know what they can and cannot do at that moment, build on those strengths and take care of yourself. I think that you're hitting on so many of those key points that are going to enable you to work through some of the challenges with elopement, but understand that it might not go away and that this is something that you're going to constantly have to be thinking about, planning ahead, have that safety plan so that if it does happen, that your child isn't going to get more hurt through the process, Mm -hmm. not more danger in the process. Well, and I'll give you another example. My son got lost at school and we had been proactive on this. We had said we didn't gloss it over and when we transferred from the Pingree Center to public school, right up front with them, this kid is a flight risk. He is a wander risk. You have got to keep your eyes on him. You have to have a plan in place. I'm not going to gloss over it. I'm going to tell you the ugly truth. Well, sure enough, within a month, I get a call and we set a plan in place what happened. They had lost him at recess. They went to gather the kids and he was gone. Nobody could find him. He had an aide assigned to him. How did he disappear? They found him in a closet in another classroom. Was he hiding from them? No, he likes enclosed places. He likes to be in quiet, dark places. He wasn't hiding from them. He was going into a comfortable situation for him Mm -hmm. Um, and then they were like oh now we know what you mean it's like did you think I was just faking it to get some more attention from my kid no this is real you have to be so brutally honest with people and I mean I hear these stories and I know how prepared you are and I know how prepared um, you make it so that you can react to these situations and that you've already prepped for it but these situations still occur. And it, and it's, it, it puts us into a perspective of, you know, that fear is real. The fear isn't going away. And part of the reason for this particular podcast is to share those stories and to help create that community awareness. And hopefully we're able to do that. Um, I would imagine is that you have enough stories to continue on several podcasts of this. And I'd love to have you back again, but you have, any parting ideas, any, any wisdom to share with families out there that you feel like, you know, I need everybody just to know this last piece. You are not alone. If you think your situation is really unique, um, it's not. You know, I know that when I was going through it, I thought I was the only person that was experiencing it. Nobody else would understand because my family certainly didn't. And my friends at the time certainly didn't. And my neighbors certainly didn't. And my religious community certainly didn't. So I had to empower myself to go out and be my son's voice. And I 
I just want families to know whether you're rural with technology that we have now, there's no reason that we can't reach out to each other and that we can't support each other. Do not criticize another family, another family um, who has a child with autism. Do not criticize the way they are um, handling the situation. You support them, you encourage them, you be for them. I love the quote from Alice in Wonderland that says, I'll be there with you in your darkest or in your brightest. I'll be there with you in your brightest moments and I'll sit with you in your darkest. We have got to be there for each other and finding the right professionals, reaching out to other people, finding your own mental health balance. They're there. It's there. You know, this, the Big Mac started out with just a couple of moms getting together for lunch so that we could share our stories because we knew how much effort we were providing, you know, focusing in on our kids. It was like, wait a minute, what about us? And then all of a sudden it realized I'm not the only one going through this. Oh, maybe I could try that. Let me celebrate in your success and let me comfort you in your heartbreak. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I think that what you just shared right there, as far as being able to create that support network and normalize some of the things that may not feel normal at the time is so important. And it, and it creates discussions, perspectives, and understanding. Um, I, I appreciate you taking the time, Laura. And um, I do hope that we're able to bring you back on because it sounds like you're so knowledgeable on, on so many of these issues. I would love to. And Jeff, it has been such pleasure. Before we tune off today, can you just give some information about where to find the Big Macs? I I know that there's similar things throughout the nation for other communities, but for your organization, the Big Macs, how do people Mm -hmm. get connected with that? Well, you can, um, we actually, we used to have um, county things. I know in St. George, they have um, a group, but right now most of the connections are on um, a Facebook page and it is a closed page for the very reason that you could get on there and say whatever you want to say. And it's not going to, nobody's going to, your family members or other people are not going to be criticizing you because that's what you don't need. It's um, a closed page. So you have to go on by invitation, which is very easy to do. You can email Cheryl Smith at smithfam29 at gmail.com. You can email me at lauanderson at comcast.net and we'll add you to the list. Um, we just need to know that you want to be a member of there. You, there. you have 1,500 moms on that website and we're pretty much all here in Utah. And people can reach out and say, hey, I'm in this area. Does anybody need any support? And you'll have 14 responses. Yeah, I couldn't imagine a better resource, uh, uh, Laura. And what you have done for the community, I think, is it's very empowering and giving a voice back to families. Thank you, Jeff, for doing this. No, well, thank you. And, and I think that this is, this is very educational, and I learned a lot today. So thanks so much, Laura. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all of the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. 
subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week. Thank you.